18.21. It says, Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. The title of today's sermon is Christmas is a time for hope, peace, joy, and love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this season and what it means, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that came down and became man with us. And this is the time of year, although we recognize that daily, this is the time of year specifically that we move forward and that we thank you for this. And Lord, we just ask now that as we sit here this morning and that we listen to you, and Lord, my ears, my, my heart is open. I ask that the ears and hearts of everyone be open so that we may receive a word from you and be able to move forward in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> part of the Christmas season that we've gotten into are, I mentioned earlier, lights. Um, I mentioned that I'm going to have a Christmas tree. Um, I know Pastor has said in the past, pretty much every single, you know, Christianity imitates life, life imitates Christianity. There's always some sort of overflow back and forth. And, you know, everyone's going to come up that is more, more people that are not saved are going to come up and say, well, did you know that that, you know, you're rec recognizing something that was based in a pagan um, ritual back in the day. And so, you know, yes, Santa Claus, I hope there's no kids in here young enough to know that Santa Claus isn't real, but Santa Claus isn't real, but Jesus is real. And this is the reason that we're recognizing the season. And it's okay. I, Jeff, I'm so sorry, dude. Did I just let that? I'm so sorry. Jeff Harris just found out. You have to pray for him. So, um, but during this, during this time of year and during this time of season, um, you know, this, th there's a general outpouring that is talking about, um, you know, the, the hope, the joy, the peace, and the, and the love. And there's all these decorations, and then there's Christmas trees, and there's all these things that are going on that are non-religious. Um, non and I know that in my home when I was growing up, we had an Advent wreath. And some of you guys know what that is, some of you don't. It's more prevalent in certain, um, in certain religions, certain denominations. But the Advent wreath... Um, and my mom used to do it with us. An Advent wreath is a circular wreath that you lay down on a table, and it's usually green, but it has candles around it. And um, the candles, and, th and this whole countdown is leading into this, um, the Christmas season, okay? But it means two different things, because you can go to the store in the mall, and you can find an Advent calendar, which is a countdown, only it's a daily countdown versus a weekly countdown. And, you know, you can find calendars that just have a countdown to Christmas and they've got chocolate in them. You, know, you open the little doors, there's a little piece of chocolate in them behind or a piece of candy. And it's got Santa Claus on one and reindeers here and other. But, and, and then they do have, you know, you can find the Christian Advent calendar um, that, again, you open the doors. Hopefully it's got some scripture. Hopefully it's got some teaching because this is the reason that we're doing this. And the title of today's sermon, the Time for Hope, Peace, Joy, and Love, um, 
each one of those within themselves, there's room for a whole sermon. Um, when I looked up each one of those, there's hundreds of verses for each one of those individual things. So I'm going to try and break it down um, into one day. So I'm going to try and give about a quarter of my time for each one of those and have a couple verses for each one of those. So if your favorite verse of hope or peace or joy or love isn't up here, it's because I couldn't get them all in. Um, one of the reasons that I'm doing all four in one is because, as you know, I'm not pastor, he's not here, and Elder Keon and I are alternating, so I didn't, you know, I, we can't build one sermon on the next, so I'm just going to jam them all in here together. The Advent wreath, if you have ever done one, has four candles that go around it. And the candle for the first week is a candle lit for hope. The candle for the second week is peace. The third week is joy. And the fourth week is love. And then there's usually this big round white candle in the middle. And that candle symbolizes the arrival of Christ. It's for Christ's candle. And that one is lit either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, we don't do a... Advent candle or a um, Advent calendar here. We don't have the sign of the cross up. Um, you know, Pastor believes, and, and rightly so, that we're not supposed to be looking at individual things and idolizing individual things. We're just supposed to lift Jesus up. But I brought up this um, this whole Advent thing because this hope, peace, joy, and love. And I'm just sitting here thinking, why would we wait till week four to share love? So this is why I went in with all four, the hope, peace, the joy, and the love, um, and want to talk about it as being the Christmas season leading up to Christmas. So if we look at hope, the first one, I pulled a couple definitions out. Hope is to want something to happen or to be true or that the feeling is, or that the feeling that what is wanted can be had or events will turn out for the best. So you're... I mean, there's hope in all areas. There's hope in, um, I hope my business will go. I hope I get my promotion. I hope that my kids will behave today. I mean, there's all kinds of hope. But the hope that we have is in the Lord. And that's what we want to look at for this Christmas season. So if we go back to the scripture that we opened up with, Matthew 12. It says, look at my beloved servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. So his name is the hope of all the world. And in a different version, it says his name, the Gentiles will trust or the Gentiles will hope in. So what this message is here is God has brought Christ into this world and he has brought him in as a servant. You know, let's look at the demeanor of Christ. Christ came into the world as a servant. He came into the world to serve people and to love people. And yet he's the hope of all the world. The Jews back in the day um, and scripture that kept leading, they were going to have Messiah come and Messiah was going to be the king of kings. He was going to be the king of the world and he was going to take over everything. And this is what they had in their mind, that when the Messiah came, all their problems were going to be solved. And so they were looking for this, you know, their, their hope 
was that the Messiah was going to come and just take care of everything. And that's a part of the reason why after his death that a lot of people like were like, what? You know, what happened? We thought this was the guy and he's not coming in and he's not putting the Romans in their place. And he's Now, he could have, but he's not. He came in to show us, he came into the world to show us how we should live and how we should, you know, what our lives should be like. And so as we serve others, we are gaining, it's, it's coming back on us. Our serving to others is creating a happiness and a joy in others and you're taking care of some of the hope that these people may that people may have. Christmas time is a time of hope, but our hope has to be that I'm going to be in the kingdom. That's my hope is that I'm going to be in the kingdom. My hope should not be focused on this world. I mean, we would like to have good things, but God takes care of our needs. He doesn't take care of exactly what we want. But our hope is in the hope of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in this little baby being born at this time. That is what the hope of the world is laid on. So our hope is that not only am I going to see the kingdom, but that this nation will get saved. We, I pray for our nation when, after softball games, when I play in softball games, and we pray. I pray for the hope of the nation. I would love to see the whole United States get saved. What a better place we would have. My, my hope is that within the United States that, you know, Florida, it'd be nice if the whole United States didn't get saved, just Florida would be saved, and then I could travel up and down and all over and just have nothing but Christian friends. My hope is that Jacksonville be saved or the West Side be saved. My real hope is everybody in this room is saved. Although the Bible says that three out of four people that call themselves Christians aren't really saved. And it's because when God sent Jesus, when Jesus came into the world, they recognized Jesus as Jesus. And some of them recognize him as a man. Some of them recognize him. And here's the sad thing. Some Christians or people that call themselves Christians... They recognize Jesus as being not only man, but also God. Their mind tells them that that's right. Their mind tells them that this is Jesus. God sent him down. He was born, and he's here. So I believe in him, so I'm good. I I believe that he is, but here's the thing. The spirits, the demons believe in him. But they're not going to heaven. So it's not believing in Jesus Christ, but it's having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that gives you the hope eternal that you will be with him forever in heaven. And it's the hope that we have in Christ that we want to push through this Christmas season. This Christmas season This is our Christian hope. It's not the hope that we get all of our presents done before the 24th or wrapped the night before or anything like that. That is what the world sees. We are separate from the world. The world sees the hope of Christmas as something completely different that Christians should move forward and see the hope of the world. In Matthew 5, 3 through 10, we'll recognize these as the Beatitudes. God blesses, now, and, and again, each one of these, I mean, this is a whole sermon on itself, so I'm going to move fairly quickly through these, but 
God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Just hang with me right there for a second. On three. Okay, so when the world thinks about this, they throw it in, they will throw it in Christians' faces all the time, and they'll say, well, the, you know, the poor, you got to give to the poor, you have to give to the poor, you have to give to the poor. And that's true, and we should. If Christian churches did their job all over the world, we wouldn't have nearly as many poor people as we do, and we wouldn't have the hungry that we do. But the poor that we're talking in here is the poor in spirit because it says God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. So it's those that believe in him and that are poor in spirit and what they're doing is they are giving him their spirit over. They're in poor in spirit so they're giving over to God so that they can have grace put on them for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other words, you got to give it up all to God. And that is the hope for the poor. That's their hope. I'm down spiritually. My hope is in the Lord, and I'm going to just give it to him. Okay? Go to number four. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we typically think of mourning, when we think of mourning, we think, well, my, my mom passed away two years ago, and you know I mourned for her for a period of time. We think of mourning as... Um, Something that is um, that goes along with death, and that's what the world thinks is well. If you're mourning, then you're going along with something for death. But the Beatitudes, Jesus was talking above these people's head, and he was talking about a spiritual mourning because God blesses those who mourn. Because if you have the Holy Ghost inside of you and you do something that you're not supposed to be doing, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, then you go into a period of mourning, because if you're truly saved, you go into a period of mourning, and you're like, God, what did I do? You have the mourning in this, the God blesses those who mourn, is a spiritual mourning that you have just poured on your heart. And when God sees that blessing and that repentance and that conviction that you have, that, is when you'll be comforted. It's not for the dead, it's for the repentance of your sins and the mourn on the repentance of your sins. In five, it says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Very simply, God wants you to be humble. It's, it's self-explanatory. God blesses those who are humble. And here's the thing, I've taught before. That God sees the light in your heart. He searches deep within you. So I could stand up here and say, Lord, this is your word, not mine. Um, I'm just a servant. I'm just doing your word. Okay? And I say those things, but here's the thing. I know my heart. God knows my heart. Right? God knows my heart if I'm humble. But I guarantee that there are people that are up on stages that are not pure in their heart and they're not humble and they're not going to be blessed. Now, they might bring the word of God and somebody, God's going to use evil for good and God might reach out and, you know, we only love him because he first loved us. So God might reach out and take someone in that service that's got a pastor up there that's prideful, but that's not doing any good for the prideful. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. So my hope is that I stay humble. Um, air conditioning. Anyone know how to hit the air conditioning? Deacon Scott in here with his phone. 
Thank you, Henry. Deacon Henry. Um, when I'm hot, but I found to be true that it's hot up here. So when Pastor says he's hot and everyone out there is cold, I understand. But when I see Miss Barbara fanning herself and jackets coming off, then I know it's hot. Um, and it's not just me. <clears throat> Number six. God blesses those who hunger for thirst. Those, those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. If you think back about what I said in Matthew, it says, finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. Okay? God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. We've talked before. Sometimes a bad person just gets it all. Sometimes they've got the great life. They never get sick. They make lots of money, got nice cars, and... We do things that we're not supposed to do in the Tenth Commandment of covet. Like, man, why has he got all that and I don't? But here's the thing. Our hope eternal is for God's justice. God's justice is going to be done. Now, when I've got two different crews, I actually have three different crews, and I get one crew leader, well, hey, they did that, and you didn't get onto them for that. Or um, vice versa, or sons. I have three sons, which two of them are here. Thank you for coming, Eric. Um, I've got three sons, and I might take one to the side and get onto one, and then the other one's like, Well, why are you getting onto me? You didn't get onto him. Well, yeah, I did. Okay? My justice as a father, it will be done. I might see it different than you see it, but the justice is going to be done. And you don't know what justice has been put on the other person because you might think it's too much or too little right we might think god should do something one way and he does it a different but ultimately our hope is that god's justice is going to be done and even if i have it terrible here on earth my hope eternal is for my time when i get to the kingdom of heaven because at that time is when I'm going to be with God and justice. And that's what he says. In Matthew, he says, finally, he will cause the justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of all the world. Man, I've got papers stuck together. I'm sorry. The next one. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Okay. This is kind of like a what comes around goes around. God blesses those who are merciful. If you've got something going on in your life and it's from somebody else and it's coming down in on top of you, if you are mercy and you give to them and you show mercy to them, then you might not get that reciprocated from that person on earth. That person might not be a Christian or they might be a Christian that's got something going on that you don't even know about. So you can't, um, you can't sit there and go, well, God, I was merciful to them, and they're still acting like a jerk. Because, again, God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't know what his justice is. We don't know what he's got going on. But here's what I know. My hope is that if I show mercy, and, and they always say, you know, the good guy finishes last, and I always feel like, man, I'm, I'm doing that for him. I'm showing mercy for him. I'm showing mercy. I just feel like I'm getting stomped on. But here's what I know is my hope isn't for you know, my life here, my hope is for when I get the kingdom. 
So my hope is the kingdom of the Lord. The next one, and that I get mercy. Because how many of us know when we get in front of the white, great white throne of judgment that all we're going to have on our side is mercy? God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God, a right lifestyle. You want to live a right lifestyle, the best that you can. Your lifestyle um, represents, and I've talked about in, in uh, James before, where in James, the Bible says that you, your works cannot get you to heaven, but only your faith. So people have said, well, you know, I don't need to do that because my works don't get me to heaven. I'm already good because my faith is there. But it also says in James that your faith will produce works. So here's the thing. If you are, have the Holy Ghost in you and you are a truly born-again, saved Christian, then you are going to want to live the right lifestyle. Because the Bible says, and it gives a whole list, if you're... Um, you know, sexual immorality and um, covenant. I mean, it lays a whole list of sins out. But here's what it says is, is those who live that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. And every Christian's hope falls in the kingdom of God. But if you live that lifestyle, so here's the thing. We as Christians aren't perfect and we're all going to sin, but our sins should be trip-ups. Our sin should be we're going along doing the right thing and then you do something bad. But then, as I talked about earlier, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you, that's the morning that God talked about in verse 2 of the Beatitudes, or the second verse of the Beatitudes, is that your mourning is over the sin that you have just committed. That's the trip up. So if you are truly saved, then your lifestyle will reflect that. Your lifestyle doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but... If you've got a phone under your seat that's a secret phone, that's a burner phone, and you use it to call your girlfriend and you're setting up something and you've had something going for a while, that's a lifestyle that you're living. You're living a lifestyle of sexual immorality. And so you can't, how can you live that lifestyle and go, well, you know, in two weeks I'm going to hook up with her and then I'm going to pray and ask God to forgive me for what I just am getting ready. That, that doesn't work. That's not how God works. Because here's the thing. At that point, at that point, you have to ask yourself, why am I calling myself a Christian? Because I'm not. I'm one of those three or four. There's people in the church all over that are living a lifestyle that don't show your Christianity. And at that point, you've got to question yourself because your hope is that you're going to make it into heaven and God blesses those hearts who are pure. And if you have a pure heart, you are not going to be living the lifestyle that is going to trip you up. You're going to just trip up, you're going to mourn, and God is going to bless you for your repentance. Next one. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I've mentioned many times my, my personal verse, um, favorite verse that I go to, my, my go-to verse is James 1-2 that says, um, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy. And I'm like, man, if I knew I had so many opportunities, I'd probably pick a different verse. Um, 
But, but it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is yours. So what do you think? Do you really think that our hope as Christians are that, man, I wish we'd get someone in government just shut the churches down. I just, I just wish that we would get, I, my hope is that we're going to get persecuted. Um, and and then, then I know I'm doing the right thing. Well, we don't have to have the government shut churches down because we're being persecuted today in everyday life. Um, we get people all the time. Oh, you a Christian? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. Oh, you act like that? And I've said it before. When I am at work and I slip up and say a bad word and I have a fairly new employee and they go to my crew leader and go, I thought he was a Christian. And my crew leader, who is unsaved, will turn around and tell him, dude, he is. And I know he is because the difference is if you hear me say that, I'm just going to say it again in three more seconds. However, he's going to apologize because he knows, like he fe- he's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry because I slipped up and said a cuss word. He's sorry. He, like, he feels really bad. He'll tell the people that. Man, he feels really bad that he did that because that's not how he should act. And that's right. It couldn't be explained any better by a Christian. And this dude's totally not saved. He's like, I ain't, don't even talk to me about that. And I let him know, dude, I got your name on a list up here at church because you're a really good dude, and I pray for you and for your salvation. He's like, don't even bother. I'm like, okay. But God's got him one way or another. One way or another, God's got that decision because if we love God, God first loved us. But I pray for his, um, I pray for his salvation because... Um, but yeah, we are persecuted. We are persecuted as Christians right now, every day. And sometimes it might come on jobs. Um, sometimes it might be in your personal life. Sometimes you might meet somebody that you think is all that in a bag of chips, and they find out that you go to church, and they're like, oh, "I ain't. I'm not interested in that." Um, I know. You know, there have been people that have come to Christ, and then you know, three days later, their roommates like. I, I can't do this no more. You got to move out. You know, we are persecuted as Christians. But here's the thing God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. So, somewhere inside us, part of our hope, Christmas spirit, all this hope that we got going on, part of our hope is that we need to be persecuted a little bit. Because if we're persecuted, then we know we might be on the right path. And, okay. Peace is our next candle. Peace is our next candle. Peace is one of the things that we talk about in um, during the Christmas time and the Christmas season. And there's songs of um, you know peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The definition of peace is the freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility, or a stress-free state of security and calmness. It comes when there's no fighting, everything coexisting in perfect harmony and freedom. So you think there's peace at the mall during Christmas shopping time? Or on Black Friday when, you know, that one video came out, the dude's trying to get the TV out, and he's, like, doing this with the big TV, and people are beating him. Um, no, there's not necessarily peace. But the secular world and the Christian world, that's two complete different meanings. It's two complete different meanings. Peace in the secular world means that we don't have any more wars or my life's good going on right now the kids are behaving their grades are all at least seeing above 
Um, my job is going. I'm not, you know, I don't have any fights going on right now. So I've got peace in my life. But how, how many of us here have had that kind of peace in our life, but at the same time we got all that stress going on on the inside? Because you know you're getting ready to have a kid bring home an F, or you know you're getting ready to have um, just something go, go wrong. You know that your car is knocking and it's getting ready to go. And, you know, so in a, in a secular sense, the peace that you have depends on the physical things that are going on right around you. That is your peace. When you have peace on the physical things going on right around you, then you're good. But here's the hope, the hope for us and the peace for us as Christians is that the peace in us is the joy of the Lord planted down inside us. If we'll look at Luke, first chapter 76 through 79. Now, when it says my little son, we're talking about this verse is talking, uh, my little son is John the Baptist who comes before the Lord. It says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the, peace, to the path of peace. So one of Jesus' names is the Prince of Peace. And John, John the Baptist was to come before and to prepare a way. And here's the thing. He's to come to prepare a way because you're going to tell people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And you're going to give light to those who sit in the darkness. So what you've got is people struggling every day, day in and day out. They're searching to find this peace, and they're searching to make things calm in their lives. And it doesn't seem to matter. There's just sometimes, like, you're just struggling. I mean, you might have a day or two. You might even have a week that things are going along good. But there's going to be stuff that's popping up in your life that is going to throw you off and off kilter if you are not saved. Okay? And that's the, you're sitting in the darkness. You're sitting in the shadow of death because whether you know it or not, and the peace that you don't have is maybe somewhere inside God's planted. I don't know. The, but... If you are sitting in the shadow of death when you die and you don't have salvation and you don't have the forgiveness of your sins, then you are going to hell. And it's that simple. So John said, uh, or John the Baptist is coming ahead of Christ so that he can teach that through the forgiveness and the remission of your sins that Christ is going to die for you and you can get salvation by putting your faith into Christ. In John 14, 27, it says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So this is Christ now. He's telling you, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And in the scripture before that, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is what Christ has promised us. Even though I leave you, I will put one inside of you. And it's the Holy Spirit. And if we're truly saved, the Holy Spirit will be inside us. 
and we will have that peace that Jesus gives you, peace of mind and heart. I can remember on a Wednesday sitting on the front row when we were going around, um, you know, giving praise reports and prayer requests, and um, or it might even have been man up because uh, you know it came around to me, and I was like, you know what, Pastor, I just, I got a ton going on. I mean, I have so much going on that we would be here for an hour of me just telling you the troubles I go, I've got going on. But you know what? It, it don't matter. It's all good because I've got God. Jesus is inside me. I had peace. At that moment, I, like, there, like, I wasn't, don't be troubled or afraid. There were a lot of things happening, and I just, I just wasn't troubled. Um, things come down through work. I, I, I bought a truck a month ago, and then I had an engine blow last week. I had to buy another truck. That would be troubling in the business sense. December's a time, fourth quarter's a time that the bank account normally goes down. It does in a lot of business. Some businesses, December's are good. Every business has its own you know, period where they're up and then they're down a little. Well, this isn't a good time for me right now. Um, but I just went and I, I had to. I had to. Um, in Proverbs 14, 4, it talks about your oxen. And if your stable is clean, there's not going to be any harvest. So, you know, I had to get another ox. Something I had to do. But I'm not troubled or afraid. Because I know that if I'm doing what God is calling me to do, I know that if I'm doing His will, then the things are going to get done. And I don't have to worry about running out of work, or I don't have to worry about um, just some of the things that come along with owning a business and running a business. My partner and I are blessed that we both love the Lord, and we have just, we'll stop and be like, dude, it's all going on right now. Can we just pray? And we'll just sit together and we'll pray. And we'll pray over the business and we'll pray over the people that we're going to talk to and that we're going to see. And we've said it before. There have been times in the past when we were smaller and like we didn't have anything to do for the guys, you know, next, the next day. And we're trying to provide families with food. And we had an old customer call up and was like, hey, um, I just moved. I meant to call you guys for a month. And I didn't, but can you put a fence in for me? And we're like, can we do it tomorrow? And they're like, yeah. And boom, God provided. We put our trust in God. And we did that. I mean, it, it was either God wants us off tomorrow or God wants us to work tomorrow. And our attitude is, if God wants us to work tomorrow, then we will. And if he doesn't, then we won't. So here's the thing. He, Jesus is putting a peace inside of us that allows us to remain calm through the storm. And it's a gift that the world cannot give because the world is based on that little bitty circle around you. And if your stuff ain't going right and you're not saved, then you have no peace. But if you've got Jesus, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, you are going to have peace. And that is the gift that Jesus gave us. So the next candle is joy. The definition of joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. And I bet 80% of the people in the room, maybe higher, maybe lower, has heard of another definition of joy, and that is Jesus, others, and yourself. Is that it's, um, it's, uh, it's not a word, but it's what? There you go. Um, Jesus, others, and yourself. 
So here's the thing I was just talking about. The world has their peace based on what's going on immediately around them. And if we as Christians turn that around and we do Y-O-J instead of J-O-Y and you start putting yourself first, then you probably are not going to have that peace inside of you. You're probably not going to have be humble. You probably are not going to be living the right lifestyle. And you probably, if you're not living the right lifestyle, are not saved. And you might be the one three out of four that call themselves Christian that aren't. But if you'll put Jesus first and you'll go to him before anything, when you have issues in your life, problems in your life, and you put Jesus first and you bow to his will then things are probably going to come together because he's going to place that peace of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you are still not selfish enough and you'll take and put others ahead of you, then the Bible tells you that if you will pray for others, you will be healed. So instead of your prayer, when you're getting down on your knees and you're praying and saying, God, I need this and God, I need that and God, this is going on. If you would come on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night and or you go through some of these books up here and you find somebody else that's got the same thing going on that you got going on and you attach to that person and you can empathize with them emotionally and you can pray for them, that's when your healing comes. Your healing is not an I, I, I because you're not putting yourself first. You're putting others first. So you're putting others first and then you place yourself last. Jesus said that the first will be last and the last will be first. So if we follow what Jesus says, then we want to do what this acronym is, which is Jesus, others, and yourself. If you look at Luke chapter 2, 8 through 11, I had to have one verse that tied in the Christmas story. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the field, nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Let's go ahead and move forward. Um, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring you great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This was an announcement. This is the official birth announcement of Jesus Christ right here. You got two dudes, been shepherding all their life, three, whatever, however many shepherds hang out together. I don't know, I'm not a shepherd. But how many shepherds are hanging out together and they're in the fields and their sheep are all over and they're hanging out at night and all of a sudden this angel comes and the light from the angel is so bright, that would freak me out. I have, we'll talk about a whole different thing, but I swear I've seen a UFO before. But... Um, if that UFO that I saw off in the distance came right to me, I would be terrified. I would be terrified. But if that light was a vision of an angel and it spoke to me and said, don't be afraid because I bring you good noise, uh, news that will bring great joy to all people, well, now I'm listening. Okay, At least they got my attention. It's like, okay, um, my flock's going to double or, you know, what? I mean, they still don't know. They just know that they got this big angel right in front of them, shining all over, and it's like, it's okay, don't be afraid, because I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. And then they bring it. The Savior, 
Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The shepherds at the time are Jews. The Jewish faith has had scripture for years, for thousands of years, that there is going to be a coming Messiah. And pastor will teach that when you're saved, the salvation is the same, whether it's before the Lord came or after the Lord came. We just know that he's come, and so we know that he put his blood on the cross for us, and we give ourselves over to Jesus, who was crucified and rose again. But here's the thing. They knew back then in Scripture that he was going to do all those things, and if they put their faith in him, then that was their salvation. So getting saved, Old Testament or New Testament, is still the same way. But here's the cool thing. Those dudes sitting out on the hill at night tells them, the Savior, and not just any Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. I mean, he's laying it out to these shepherds. This is it. This is it. This is what you've been waiting for thousands of years. It didn't come out of a news flash from the city of Jerusalem. The king didn't proclaim it. I'm telling you right now, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born. And then he confirms it with today in Bethlehem, the city of David, which the Jews at that time and those shepherds knew that that's where the Christ, that the Messiah, had to come out of Bethlehem. We just, in Abundant Life University, just did a thing where we've got um, scripture verses and I, I thought this was really cool. I've thought about doing it before on my own and never did. But we had scripture verses, and it has the prophecy, um, which was the, and then the Old Testament verse that went along with that prophecy, and then the New Testament verse that confirmed that prophecy. And to be honest with you, if, if you are a skeptical person, if there is nothing else, if, you're, if there's nothing else that will make you believe this, the prophecies that came true were every one of them. The prophecies that came true were 100% accurate. And it was all of them. Whether there's, some people say there's 30, some people say there's 72. I mean, the prophecies that correspond with the Old Testament to the New Testament that go down based on the lineage of David. Um, today in Bethlehem, and here's the cool thing. Today in Bethlehem, Bethlehem's this little teeny tiny town out in the middle of nowhere. Bethlehem was nothing. How can a king come from nothing? Pastor likened it to, well, Ponte Vedra. Um, you can't use Ponte Vedra as Bethlehem. That, they're too snooty and up class. You got to go Middleburg. Right? I just knew. I just knew he was going to say it'd be like living in Middleburg and the Savior coming. So he was born in this little. But the scriptures all tell where he came from. Um, it, it talks about his bones not being broken. It talks about him um, being crucified in the middle of two thieves. How do they know what order they're going to put him up on the cross? It's specific. So if there's nothing else, there's not a mathematical equation. The, the odds of all those things happening, if there's nothing else, if you just are a secular person and you vote on the lotto and you turn that thing over and says the odds of you winning this are 1,782,036, you know, that's the odds of all these things coming true for Jesus. So if you don't believe in anything else, if you played a lotto, you got to believe this. you got to. And it's great joy that's coming because this is what they've been waiting for, is great joy. Their Messiah has come. At this point, they don't know that he's going um, to die and like let them go, what's going on? But they know. It was announced. The Messiah has been born. So these guys have great joy, and they went and they told everyone else. And that's why 
that the early churches grew so much is because through the life of Jesus in his serving and in his healing and in all the things that he did and in all the preaching that he gave and then he gave his life for us and then he died and he spoke in parables that even the disciples didn't understand that three days and I'll come back. They didn't understand that he was going to rise again until it happened and then they went, oh yeah, that's right, he told us that and we, right over our heads, right over our heads. So... The joy that these shepherds had was great joy. In Luke 15, 3 through 7, is the parable of the lost sheep. So Jesus told him this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's not saying that it's not joyous for the 99 that he's already got. But it's the one that we let slip away. It's the one that slides out. How many times have we had people... I mean, this is a different crowd. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'd have to go way back, find people that have been here with me. And that's not just me being in this church. That's like any church. You go into any church and you start looking at the you know, relationships and how long have you been. And that's because people come and then they go. They get saved and then they leave. Are they just hearing the... Are they like the... the seed that was thrown on the the rocks and it they hear it and they're like up all fired up for it and then the sun comes out scorches it the world comes around and then they're gone so you know is is that what we're hearing so um the one the one that goes away the one that's lost when we go in and find that one and we bring that back then there is rejoicing in heaven and there's great joy. And this is what I wanted to talk about. The, the, the point I wanted to make of joy is in this Christmas season, it's fun to go Christmas caroling and it's fun to come up here and fellowship. Or I mean, it, I'm sure that um, unsaved people are going to have fun at Christmas parties, drinking hot toddies, whatever. Uh, that's a medicine, isn't it? But drinking, drinking, you can tell how much it's been, how long it's been since I drank. Um, but they're going to be drinking their mud slides and whatever else they got, and they're going to have joy until the next morning, and that's a whole different sermon. But, um, but the joy that we have at Christmas time is the joy of the salvation of the one that was lost. Of, and, and I've been here long enough to see people walk this aisle. And every time someone walks this aisle, if I have somebody in this church and they're serving in um, the, the youth or they're serving in the nursery or they're out in the front or they're doing security, if one of their relatives, whether it's a spouse or a child or a mother or a father, when one of their relatives walks that aisle, I go get them. And the reason I go get them is because you'll know if you're sitting in here and you see your child or your brother or mother or father or anyone that you love walk that aisle, that there is great joy inside of you. There's great joy inside of you. There ain't nothing better. And that's the joy that we have in the Christmas story. 
That's the joy that we get. The joy that's talked about in Christmas for Christians is the salvation of loved ones. The next one is love. It's the last one, and we're a couple minutes after 12, so I'm going to go through this fairly quick. Um, 1 Corinthians 13. Now I'm going to read through the whole thing, Mike. <clears throat> if I could speak all of the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will, come, will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, you're probably thinking it's seven minutes after, and that was really long, so we're going to be here till two. But here's the crazy thing. There's not a whole lot I can expand on that. That... That is beautiful, and it's God's word, it's true, it's clear, it's understanding. And here's what it's telling you. It's telling you that all these things that people put up, Jeff, you can come in. All these things that people put up, um, the decorations that they do for Christmas... Um, the Christians that believe in um, different things that separate us, that create denominational differences, um, talking in tongues, prophecies, baptism, dunking, you know, all, all the theological things that split us as Christians, it tells us in here, in the verse that we just read, that all of those things just give us a little taste of stuff and it's only while we're here on earth. That all those things, partial, the things we know and don't know, those things are all going to pass away. It keeps saying, and then. And it says, then 
we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. When is then? Then is when we see God and Christ steps in and intercedes and says, all those things, I already paid for them. I already gave the wages. He's mine. And he's coming in with us. That's then. When you get welcomed, I taught Wednesday night that when Christ said it's finished and we were talking about using our hands, that's when, that was the greatest thing that Christ did for us. Because when he said it's finished, he took us and placed us into God's hands. And he placed us into God's family. And it's at that time that that's the then. And that's when we'll know everything. That's when the people that had prophecy here on earth, their prophecy doesn't matter. Their gift of prophecy doesn't matter. Um, that's the time that the things that we retain here, gift of leadership, the gift of teaching, those things won't matter because they're not going to last. Because when we get to heaven, guess what? I'm not going to need to teach. I won't have to lead anybody because everybody, it says right here, we will see everything in perfect clarity. And the we is not a list of just, you know, a couple peoples. Uh, okay, pastors are going to see clarity in everything. Um, apostles are going to see everything, um, clarity in everything. The people in that little church on the west side of Jacksonville, well, they're going to see everything. But every, No, we, we, Christians, we that make it through, that Christ said, that one's mine. We are going to be the ones that are going to see with clarity. So none of those other spiritual gifts that we've got here on earth are going to really make any difference. Because when we get to heaven, it's going to be the love that this is talking about, that this verse is talking about. It's going to oversee everything. It's going to just, love is going to encompass and pass over everything. There's not going to be any of the wrongs. It's going to overlook wrongs. It's not jealous. It's not rude. It's not proud. I mean, if we as Christians are to be salt and light, and we are at the mall doing some Christmas shopping, which is fine, but there's only one more toy that we really want to get our kid. And we're like, we're right there and we got it. And that lady comes up like, oh, I want, are, are we going to keep it? Or are we going to hand it over? Are we going to show love? Are we going to show compassion? Are we going to be the salt and light? Are we going to have the hope, the peace, the joy and love? Here's the last thing I've got and then we'll get out of here. This Advent season is a four-Sunday season. So sometimes it starts at the end of November. This time, this Sunday, is the beginning of Advent. It's the beginning of the Christmas season. And there's four weeks leading up to when we recognize the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, scientists have shown that it takes three weeks of doing the same thing over and over for that thing to become habitual. Okay? So if you have a bad habit, if you can refrain for three weeks, you have a good chance of breaking it. If you have something that you want to start and it's a good habit, if going to the gym is your thing on January 1st, if you stop by the 14th, you're done. If you go every other day on the time you set aside and you make it all the way through to the three weeks, then you might have a chance of carrying on. So it takes a habit three weeks. 
Well, guess what? We've got four weeks. We have four weeks to be salt and light of hope, peace, joy, and love. And if we get into that habit, then this doesn't just have to be the Christmas season. We can carry that through and get into that habit, and we can carry it all the way through 2018. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. The amount that you love us is immeasurable. When we have our biggest, most favorite thing that we love the most, it doesn't even compare to how you love us. To send your son, to send your son knowing that he's going to be treated like a dog and beat and spit and crucified is unimaginable. It's unimaginable for me and and if someone thinks they can grasp their mind around it, then they're wrong. Lord, you love us so much. And at this time, Lord, we, we want to just have your blessing on us so that during this Christmas season that we can move forward as salt and light through the earth and move forward through this Christmas season and showing God's love. Lord, we just ask that you keep our hand on us through this season. And Lord, we ask that you keep your hand on Pastor and that you heal him. And Lord, I ask that everyone in here that loves him will move forward and pray for him in all earnestness and keep asking that you might heal him, that he might be back and be our spiritual leader. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.